Hello and welcome to Your Active's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Your Active's Agri-Food News Team. So our first podcast of 2021. Yeah, our first uh, podcast. So we're back. Definitely mm-hmm. back. Yeah, back. Back bigger and better, better than ever. Ready and raring for the, what this year is going to throw at us, whatever that might be. No, I mean, we also want to wish uh, our listeners a luckier New Year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And we, so we made it through 2020 and already 2021 is shaping up to be a pretty interesting year, even though we're only two weeks in. Feels, feels longer, no? <laughs> indeed, indeed. That's why we want to start, we want to kick off uh, mm-hmm. this New Year podcast, talking a bit more about what to expect from 2021 uh, when mm-hmm. it comes to the EU agri-food policy, you know? For instance, I start and my guess is that we're going to have a reform of the common agricultural policy. Ooh. Signed, sealed, delivered, yeah. Uh, I put it out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Easy and simple. Uh, so uh, why I'm telling this? Uh, last week we we published this uh, exclusive interview with the Portuguese Agriculture Minister uh, Maria Doce Antunes, and uh, she will chair the AgriFish Council un- until the end of June. So uh, she said that in the next six months the Portuguese presidency will be committed to the conclusion of the cap negotiations. Uh, that were started by the German presidency. Uh, So we're talking about the EU's farming subsidies program here. As you probably know, we are at the last stage of the legislative process, the so-called trilogue phase, uh, where the the two co-legislators, so the European Parliament and the European Council, they are basically negotiating in order to agree on a common text of the final pieces of legislation that made up the whole cap, the whole common agricultural policy. So Portuguese aim at reaching an agreement with the parliament by April. Is it feasible? Let's say it is ambitious. Talks are going on really slowly. Uh, I mean, the pending issue is basically the green architecture of the common agricultural policy. So one settled this aspect It'll probably be downhill. On Monday, there was an update uh, made by uh, the parliament negotiators at the um, European Parliament's Agricultural Committee. And the negotiator basically say that positions on this eco-scheme, so basically um, the eco-schemes are uh, the core aspect of the architecture. You know, the positions are very far apart. You can also check out on our website the interview that we had with one of the Parliament's negotiators, the French socialist um, Eric Andrieu, who was advocating for this concept of rebuilding food sovereignty in the context of the, uh, of course, of the the CAP reform. Uh, He's, by the way, the Parliament rapporteur on uh, a very important portion of the um, farming subsidies program which is the Common Organization of Agricultural Markets, which basically uh, ruled the production and trading of agricultural products in the European Union, including, for instance, uh, food of uh, both animal and plant origin. So if negotiators will not manage to strike a deal under the Portuguese presidency, I mean, the other presidency of 2021, uh, the Slovenian one, will have the last war. 
We know how this kind of negotiation can last for a long time, but they can't last for ages. So also considering that the current transitional period for CAP will last until the end of 2022, and the member states are supposed to file their national strategic plans already this year. So I think it's highly likely that 2020 will be uh, the year for a final deal. The actual final cap down now. The actual final cap, yeah. We can bring back that hashtag as well. And we will. And we will. When it happens, it's pretty exciting. It's a problem. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> and of course, the other um, something that I think, I think we might hear a little bit more about is, of course, Brexit, this recurring issue. What is this Brexit thing you're talking about? Yeah, 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 I've never heard of it either. Should I explain? No, kidding. Um, yeah, well, so we obviously over Christmas had a, a last minute, really 11th hour um, agreement between the UK and the EU, which provisionally entered into force on the 1st of January this year. And this was really, uh, you know, a massive achievement for the two negotiating teams. Um, you know, there was in the run up a lot of concern from the agri-food sector um, around this no deal possibility. Um, and, you know, all the major agri-food stakeholders on both sides um, of, the, of the channel were, were saying about how disastrous this would be. So it's no doubt um, a significant improvement on the no-deal Brexit that, that threatened in, in the weeks leading up um, to the deal. Um, so the deal, it is uh, a little bit rough and ready. I mean, it's early days. It's actually only provisional for the moment, but it provides this kind of foundation to develop a longer term relationship uh, between the two parties. And it ticks in many ways, it ticks a lot of boxes, you know, I think for for both negotiating sides that their kind of red lines um, weren't crossed. It fulfills a lot of a lot of the issues closest to, to their hearts. Um, but there have been a number of teething problems, shall we say. Um, and it remains to be seen kind of how temporary these are. And there's an, also a number of issues that remain to be kind of hashed out. So, yeah, like I said, even the, though we we struck this deal kind of like the first battle is won, but the war's not over. Um, there's still plenty of disruption and, you know, that ranges from issues of confiscating animal products. We had all kinds of reports of people losing their sandwiches and everything else. And obviously, personally, I'm very sad about my loss of ability to bring cheddar over in enormous quantities. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's anyway. the, the main issue of the entire Brexit. Honestly, we need to sort that out because I don't sh- I'm not sure what I'm going to do. But um, anyway... It's funny because actually we're talking about food products, you know, even this, uh, you mentioned the, mm. the sandwich uh, scandal. But I mean, uh, with with this harsh reaction from the Dutch officer, and again, it's, it, mm-hmm. it was about food, no? So, uh, of course, Brexit, it's also other stuff, but maybe uh, the most visible uh, aspects are food related. Mm-hmm. No, there's also this, uh, you know, the, the seafood issue at the um exporters of seafood products that have this uh, th- this issue you know due to the uh lengthy new bureaucratic uh requirements mm-hmm. to export their product we're talking about perishable food Definitely. no i saw on the on our website this this uh, wire on scott fish scottish fishermen that want to dump the you know all this seafood in front of the parli- of the parliament so as, as a way a protest. to protest mm. yeah mm. yeah i mean it's funny you, you say that i mean food is obviously kind of the most uh it's an issue that touches everyone kind of personally and i think you feel it you know very strongly when there's an issue with food and definitely it's central to 
um, to many of the Brexit kind of issues that are still there to be to be negotiated and to, to be dealt with and also more serious um well it's all quite serious but uh pretty uh, ch- cheddar is serious yeah. cheddar cheddar is yeah cheddar is definitely i think cheddar is very serious but um even more serious than cheddar and now you know it's serious um today there were reports that you know there were market uh, supermarket shelves that that were empty in northern ireland um and you know basically the northern ireland agricultural minister was worrying that there was really a looming crisis here um and even the the uk prime minister boris johnson even even said that he would be willing to break the deal to sort uh, out a solution in northern ireland and you know we're only two weeks in to the year so um that throws up all kinds of other issues And speaking about issues in Northern Ireland and in Ireland, um, obviously Ireland is one of the the member states, you know, that's the closest to Brexit geographically, but also has the most issues and a lot to kind of a lot at stake here, really. Um, And so with that in mind, uh, we spoke with Paul Kelly, who is the director of Food Drink Ireland, to hear a little bit more about what the first two weeks of this year has had in store for them and what he sees for the future are the main concerns. So I suppose it's safe to say that we've been uh, off to somewhat of a bumpy start at the beginning of 2021. Um, I wondered if you could kind of talk us through a little bit these past uh, couple of weeks, which has felt a bit more like a lifetime, I think, for some. Um, could you give us a little bit of an overview about what the current situation is and what your your, your biggest concerns right now are? Well, I suppose the timeline is we had the agreement on the 24th of December which was literally seven days before the end of the the implementation period and the start of the the brave new world, if you want to call it that, on the mm-hmm. 1st of January. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few days later, then we got to see the uh, trade agreement itself. Uh, and again, that needed to be digested particularly quickly. So certainly, if we look at it, I suppose, from, from two or three uh, perspectives, number one, in terms of actually the movement of goods and, and so on, a lot of companies obviously were stockpiling in advance. So even now, a good few days in, essentially two weeks into the new year we still haven't seen the normal trade volumes return to normal levels which is probably a good thing in a sense because there have been quite a number of uh, teething problems which has impacted on trade caused a lot of delays and, and so on um, hopefully a lot of that is is teasing problems but i think it is worth bearing in mind that with the uk having left both the single market and the customs union they are a third country and there's a huge amount of what essentially is now permanent um, additional administrative measures and checks and so on, which which are in place. So I think everybody in the supply chain needs to be fully aware of that, that even once we get through these teething problems, all that's going to stay in place. And moreover, come 1st of uh, April, when the second phase of the UK's border operating model uh, comes into play, particularly for uh, products of animal origin from the continent and from Ireland being exported into uh, Great Britain, we're going to see a lot of additional administration, particularly on the SPS side, start to kick in as well. So there are some of, I think, the the immediate trade impacts that, that are being faced. And talking about kind of teething issues, um, today there's been a lot of concern about uh, about empty shelves in, in Northern Ireland. And the Agricultural Minister, Edwin Poots, um, he was talking about, he was warning of a looming crisis, um, whereas the Prime Minister dismissed these as teething issues. Um, I'm wondering from your perspective, from your side of things, um, what, your, what your view on this is. Is this an over-exaggeration or is this something a bit more concerning? 
I think it's a reality, uh, but we're obviously looking at it from a little further south on the island. Um, the difference probably is, and again, I think this goes back to you know implementation and the the ability of supply chains and and businesses to react very very quickly and and sometimes in unfeasibly short periods of of time. So I know uh, there between the the UK and and the EU there are a number of easements, uh, temporary easements, which are in place for the first number of months. But nevertheless, you know, for all the teething problems that we have, say for example, from uh, for product traveling from GB to to Ireland, and certainly there are delays and, and teething problems. You know, for a number of years, it's it's been known quite clearly that the the UK UK is going to be outside the, the single market, it's going to be outside the, the customs union. So therefore, all the third country measures uh, take effect. I think with the Northern Ireland Protocol and essentially the, the final agreement that was reached by uh, the EU and, and the UK in relation to the implementation of that, essentially late enough in the year, uh, separate obviously to the overall agreement, but nevertheless late in the year, I think sort of the uh, the preparation times that were available to to businesses who would be trading between GB and Northern Ireland were were, were shortened, and perhaps there wasn't a full awareness of sort of the extent and rigor of the checks that that were going to be involved. So, yeah, uh, we can we can see why there there are shortages on the the shelves up up there. Um, but really, I think you know uh, the, the the rules are are, are the rules, uh, uh, but a period of I think appropriate implementation time needs to be to be considered to allow businesses to to adopt to the new or adapt should I say to the new normal. So you said Paul that it is uh, actually a matter of big concern but in addition to that the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson also said that he won't hesitate to break the deal already uh, to get uh, Northern Ireland restocked. So how much of a concern is that other threat to the food drink industry in uh, Ireland? Well, I think what's hugely important to us is that both the integrity of the single market is maintained and both the letter and the spirit of the, the Northern Ireland Protocol is maintained as, as well. And the two go hand in hand, particularly for us on the island here, because they are sort of key to ensuring that there is no border on the island of Ireland. And uh, lastly, uh, we turn to uh, fresh news that Ireland is set to receive uh, 1 billion euro or 25% of the EU Brexit reserve fund in uh, 2021. And we've seen that your organization welcomed uh, this, but at the same time, it called for targeted support measures in the sector. Could you uh, please expand on what you want to what you want to see and what are the most needed uh, for companies right now? Well, firstly, I mean, I think we, we welcomed the original announcement of the five billion fund in the uh, council conclusions back in July of last year. And I think the announcement over the last day or two that Ireland is going to receive one billion or approximately 25 percent of the first four billion that will be distributed again is welcome. From our perspective, the, the food sector in Ireland is the most exposed sector in the most exposed country. And even with uh, a deal in place, and certainly we're, we're delighted that there are no tariffs aside from a number of the rules of origin issues, which obviously ha have arisen in, in recent days. But nevertheless, as, as we've just discussed, we face a lot of additional paperwork, customs and SPS formalities, transport delays, disruption to delivery schedules and so on. So that that's imposing a lot of cost 
on the system and businesses are going to need to be able to, to modify their business practices and in some instances diversify the markets that they, they operate in. So again, we welcome the money, but we need to make sure that it's spent in, in a proper fashion. And, and from our perspective, we need to see it invested in competitiveness, uh, in improving the export capability and innovation capability of companies. And other key issues would be custom skills. Um, as I mentioned earlier, this is a permanent situation now. So a lot more customs capability is going to be required in the industry. And finally, um, the rest of the EU, EU26, uh, is accessed by Ireland, which is an island off an island of continental Europe in two ways, either the land bridge across Wales and England or else directly by ferry routes to the continent. There has always been direct ferry routes to the continent, but the capacity has been relatively limited in terms of freight. So there has been a significant increase over the last few weeks, but our view would be that we're going to need an even greater increase. So certainly we would like to see the funding uh, support uh, increased connectivity to the continent for us and in turn for European exporters so that they've got good access to the Irish market as well. So yeah, I think a bumpy start is the is the the way to put things. Um, I guess though one of the most important things when it comes to agri-food products is that uh, the deal prevents prevented the introduction of tariffs for UK EU trade. Although there was some caveats to that, um, some issues that we've already run against to do with rules of origin. So to qualify for having zero tariffs. Um, products have you have to be able to prove where they come from that they come from a country that qualifies for that and there's been all kinds of issues um, from UK distribution centres uh, that were importing products from the EU and then sorting it out and then re-exporting it um, back to the EU um, and you know this is the, these are issues that still need to uh, be worked out and of course even if trade is in principle free of tariffs it does come with additional costs you know custom procedures paperwork so it's costly in other ways shall we say um and then there are a number of issues that we're going to have to deal with um you know they're going to come up this year and we're going to be dealing with them throughout this year um so in the agri committee meeting that was this week that focused on the issue of brexit they raised a few interesting points there were a lot of questions for example surrounding um gi so geographical indications because the uk did not agree to um to the protection of geographical indications the eu could register in the future so a lot of questions about what the arrangements will be there and how that will work um and going forward there's kind of some obvious trouble on the horizon to do with compliance and level playing fields so one of their first brexit moves was uh, to launch a consultation on gene editing which is a pretty telling move um you know it shows their kind of priorities for the agri-food sector and you know they gave a lot of indications that they were looking to open up england and then potentially in the future the uk to gene editing and new plant breeding techniques um, and of course that introduces some problems for trade with the EU um, and similarly the UK also moved um, to uh, allow some neonicotinoid pesticides these controversial pesticides um, that are linked to bee decline and they're banned in the EU um, but this week the UK move to at least temporarily allow them um, and so there's a lot of questions around kind of cooperation on phytosanitary measures and how uh, how we can trade 
when we don't have the same level playing field. Um, and lastly, another issue that was raised um, in the agri-committee meeting was the issue of um, who gets to settle disputes, what action can be taken, um, you know, if the other side isn't complying. And it's already, you know, it's pretty interesting already two weeks down the line, as we spoke about earlier with Northern Ireland, um, this is potentially already becoming an issue. So maybe we'll get an answer to that question um, sooner than, than we think. Um, and in terms of looking ahead, what's next for the Brexit deal? Um, so it has been adopted by the UK Parliament, but it's yet to be approved by the European Parliament and also needs unanimous approval um, in the EU Council. So both of these steps are expected to happen by the end of February, although obviously this you know, could move depending on, on what's going on. But we can expect that to come up soon in the, ne- in the coming months. Yeah, we hope soon. Before moving on on the next thing that we're looking uh, that we were looking at uh, in 2021, I just want to recall to our listeners that according to the Oxford English Dictionary, uh, the word Brexit was first used on a blog post appeared on your active. Of course, so, trendsetters. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Just uh, in case you don't know, I mean, that's that's the real story behind this uh, this term. That's quite a claim to fame, actually. Yeah, impressive. No, indeed, indeed. I mean, it's, it's one of the first things that I say to, uh, I mean, when I introduce myself, I work at Iraq. Yeah, you know that we call it. Not joking. He's not joking. <laughs> Other things on our radar, and actually on, on the radar of lawmakers, stakeholders, and who's, who's, who's working in the EU bubble, so it was also announced for the fourth quarter of 2021, a quite important revision of the framework for geographical indications, um, which basically will involve all agricultural sectors. But, uh, you know, the wines and spirit drinks are excluded because they will maintain their current specificities. So GIs are, um, geographical indications are designed to protect the names of specific products uh, in order to promote their unique characteristics uh, linked to their geographical origin, as well as to the know-how, for instance, embedded in the region. Uh, So it is thanks to GIs that uh, for instance, um, you can make champagne only if you use grapes grown in the uh, homonymous French region. And the same thing uh, with the um, uh, meat produced in the hills around Parma can legitimately bear the name of prosciutto di Parma, just just for making another uh, example. So there's this um, commission's new attempt to strengthen and modernize uh, and also better enforce GIs for agri-food products, uh, which is part of a broader intellectual property action plan, um, which is also supposed to support the EU's recovery and resilience uh, after the pandemic. But in general, the, the revision of the GI policy is expected also to boost uh, its potential to contribute to the EU's new food policy, the farm-to-fork strategy. So it's a measure, uh, you know, this this reform uh, included in the, actually in the Green Deal uh, um, action plan set by the Commission. And we're also going to have a look at the revision of two other uh, EU broader policy areas that also have a great impact on agriculture, uh, which are the state aid and trade policy. 
So for the state aid framework, the current rules will be applicable until the end of 2021. And there's an ongoing evaluation of the current rules uh, that says that there is scope for procedural simplification. And at the same time, it it also be important to this new framework will continue to be closely linked to the uh, common agricultural policy general framework because most of the state aid are allowed uh, within this framework. So, for instance, during a market crisis, we're talking about state aid uh, coming from, again, governments that want to rescue certain sectors. It happens like two years ago with the Italian government uh, made up this rescue plan for sheep milk producers. They were facing a, a crisis in price of the of their products. And uh, at the same time, for the trade policy, there's this revision of the general EU trade policy going on. And, uh, and you know, this revision will have to take into account the new commitment to uh, sustainable food systems. For instance, uh, the EU is expected to propose legislation uh, this year to prevent the import of commodities linked to deforestation, uh, commodities including agricultural commodities. And it is basically to avoid uh, this uh, phenomenon of exporting unsustainable practices abroad. Uh, and at the same time, as a way to avoid that farmers might be kind of disadvantaged by the new envir- environmental ambition of uh, the farm to fork strategy. And also there are a couple of other things coming up that are definitely worthy of a mention. And one of those is the European Commission is going to release a study on new genomic techniques. Um, and so this study basically comes in light of the European Court of Justice's uh, ruling on new genomic techniques or plant breeding um, techniques that basically said um, that they should in principle fall under the GMO directive. And so there's going to take another look at this. Um, And basically, this is quite interesting as well. I mentioned earlier that that England and potentially opening up to the UK uh, are starting their consultation on gene editing as well. So it will be interesting to see these kind of things going on in parallel and what happens and what are the conclusions of both. Um, So the, uh, the commission study on this is expected around April. And then we also have the long-awaited organic action plan that is due to come up. So I'm not sure exactly, I don't have a timeline for when this is supposed to be. It's been postponed um, a number of times, but there's the action plan uh, on organic production that is due at some point this year. And we know that um, organic, I mean, obviously it's a central issue uh, to do with the farm to fork strategy that talks about a goal and a target to triple the amount of land that is under organic production um, and also is a key priority of the uh, Portuguese presidency. So, And, and also um, there will be a new framework for the marketing of organic food pro- yes. products, mm-hmm. which was supposed to start this year, but it was postponed uh, uh, after the the push of the uh, organic companies, they say that basically the sector uh, wouldn't be ready to start with the new rules. So um, the new rules are, have been postponed to um, the beginning of 2022. And as you said, I mean, the, the Portuguese presidency, uh, you know, it, it's one of the, the core priorities. Uh, And at the same time, um, this week, um, the European Commission unveiled the list of potential eco-schemes 
Um, and, and, and of course, organic farming is quite at the core of this. Uh, mm. um, we're talking about the sustainable practices that could be eligible for granting subsidies under the new uh, reformed cap. And uh, again, there's an entire section on organic farming as well as on um, integrated pest management. So we can say that 2021 could be the the year for uh, organic, let's say. And that's all from us. Uh, this week, the AgriFood podcast was produced uh, by Euractiv's AgriFood team, Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Food, with the technical support of Evi Chiori. And this podcast is also available on all major podcast streaming platforms. That includes Apple, Amazon, Spotify and Stitcher. I'm Natasha Foote. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week.